that we are children of God. Who believes that in this place tonight? Come on, come on. And you know what? The good news even gets better. The Bible also tells us that we have been crucified with Christ so that it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. So that means you're not only a child of God, you're not only set free from sin, you're no longer a slave, but you are now one with Christ. Just let that sink in. The guy who defeated death and the grave and sin and darkness and brings restoration and, and recreation to this world says, I'm now gonna put my spirit in you and we are gonna be one so nothing can separate you from my grip. Isn't that good news? Come on, come on, that is good news. All right, in that good news, I invite you right now just to grab a seat. We're gonna continue unpacking some good news tonight. We're gonna keep leaning into Jesus. And uh, I wanna talk about some amazing patterns in his life that I believe are important to ours. So I just wanna start by saying this. Jesus is always right. Two people believe it. But Jesus, he's not sometimes right. Jesus is always right. Now here's the deal. I believe that. I believe wholeheartedly Josh believes it too, wholeheartedly, that Jesus is always right. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to have a little bit of a confession right now. There have been times in my life I've always believed it, but if I'm honest with myself, there's times in my life I didn't live as though I believed it. I didn't always live believing that Jesus was right, even though I knew he was always right. I struggled sometimes. Now, now what does this have to do with identity? Well, last month, Pastor Ben shared a brilliant word on standing firm in your identity. I'm not going to be putting on shirts that are too small for me and ripping them off because I, I am not strong like Pastor Ben. <laughs> but tonight, he talked about standing firm in your identity. Tonight, I want to talk about for a few moments what it looks like to stay confident in your identity because I believe they go hand in hand. And who better to look to for guidance in this area of staying confident in your identity than the one who was always right? Jesus. Because if we believe that Jesus is always right, we need to look to how he stayed confident in his identity. And, and his life is going to be a roadmap for our lives of how we can do the same. It's an example for all of us. Now, before I jump into that roadmap and unpack a little bit of his life, I want to pull back the curtain of my life a little bit and just let you in and, and tell you a little bit about my journey. See, much of my life, I wrestled with expectations. I really did. I allowed the expectations of others and unhealthy expectations that I placed on myself to have a greater impact on my identity than it should have. You see, I was a pastor's kid that moved quite a bit. So every few years, I moved to a new town, which meant a new school, which meant new friends. It meant starting over again. So I put a huge pressure on myself to fit in. And being an extrovert, I needed people in my life. So I'm telling you right now, I put an expectation on myself that I needed friends as soon as the moving truck was unpacked. Like mom and dad were like, where's Travis? Oh, he saw someone over there. He's not helping with the truck. He's trying to make friends. That was me. I was that kid. 
See, my new friends love building forts. I love building forts. If my new friends love street hockey, I love street hockey. If my new friends wanted to play NHL on Nintendo, now I know some of you, you're like, I'm dating myself, yeah. But uh, I'm talking OG Nintendo, okay? Not, not what you guys have today, like OG stuff. Um, I had to play NHL on Nintendo. So like the first one I played was NHL 93. I mean, like Blades of Steel. Who, who played Blades of Steel? Yeah, we got some old people in the house. Yeah, all right. Um, is it like retro to play Blades of Steel now? I don't know. But I had to play NHL. Um, now, obviously, I hid my desperation, right? Like, the one thing you didn't want to be known as as the new kid is the tryhard. Like, I'm like, I'm too cool to be the tryhard. But internally, that's who I was. See, I also had this expectation to be cool. See, many of the towns that we moved to in my childhood, I grew up in eastern Canada. It was all these small fishing villages. So not many people moved there. So being the new kid, it was also like this mystique, like, who's the new kid in town? So instantly, I'm like, I have to live up to that. Like, I have to be that kid that everybody's like, who is this guy? See, not only was I a new kid, as I said moments ago, I was the pastor's kid. So this came with expectations as well. You know, I had to be well-behaved. I had to, had to represent because my dad was the pastor in the town. Again, another set of expectations. You see, I had to have a level of holiness that was inspiring to my peers, and I was still figuring all this stuff out. No pressure, hey? So when you add a couple of moves in your development years into the mix of this, you find yourself reinforcing these expectations or labels that were externally and internally placed on you. You see, I followed the same patterns with each new town. And it formed this people-pleasing habit within me. It also made me super competitive. I had to be the best at academics, sports, drama. I had to win. Here's the one thing I had to win. Now, this is all the other pastors or pastor's kids in the house are going to think I'm a geek, but they're going to nod their head. I had to win the Bible trivia at Sunday school. Like, you just had to, right? And I felt bad. I had to confess years later that I knew where dad kept the questions. So I kind of memorized them. And then I'm like, I can't answer all of them. I just had to be enough ahead of everybody so they think I really know my Bible. Isn't that bad? Confession time in front of all you guys. Wow. That's not even in my notes. All right. But I was super uh, competitive. I had, I, had to, I had to win. Um, you see, all of these expectations that I allowed to, to guide my life led me to a place of needing to be wanted and needing to win so that I felt approved. You see, I, I had to make the high school basketball team. I didn't try out till my final year because I was like, I wasn't good enough the other years. So I'm like, but this year I'm going to make it because I need the approval of what I thought, you know, were the cool guys on the basketball team at that time. And I'm like, I wanted to be a part of that. I, I had to work hard in my studies because I wanted to be the kid that got, got the scholarship so that I could get the approval of my teachers and my guidance counselors. That was me. You see, all of this impacted my identity, and not always in the positive. I had to be in control of my life, and, and, this, and this impacted, or it projected into my relationships around me, my family dynamics, and close friendships. You see, the way I viewed life in my younger years 
didn't bring me necessarily the joy that I have today. Something had to change. You see, I fought too much with negative thoughts or the negative narrative that was playing out in my life, in my head. You see, I was powering up in situations so that I could feel, about my, feel good about myself. I had to be in control. I worried so much about my image. And I often cared more about what others thought of me than who I knew I was created to be. So what do you do with that? How do you break that cycle? Who do you look to? You do. See, it took me realizing that I actually didn't have the power to change things on my own. I needed to be transformed from the inside out. See, I was fortunate over the years to have, have mentors and youth leaders, my parents, uh, pastors, college professors, different voices that came just when I needed it. And they reminded me constantly of one thing. They kept reminding me of who I was in Christ. And I know that sounds simple, but we need that in our lives. We need that reminder because we drift in our humanity. Because there's so much messaging that says you need to be this, 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 and this. And what I loved was that they created safe spaces for me to dialogue about this stuff. They listened, they gave encouragement, and most importantly, they pointed me to Jesus, and we went to him together. I didn't have to do this alone. And, and much like what Pastor Ben did last month, they gave me a foundation to stand on in the truth of who God says I am, or says we are, right? And then they created spaces for, for me to experience the power of Jesus through his spirit. You see, they recognized they could give me an example of what living with a confident identity looks like. They were vulnerable, yet they were confident in whose they were. And they also recognized that what I needed most was something only Jesus could do within me. Now, why did they believe that? I'm confident that they believed Jesus was always right. They looked at his life and they saw that he too experienced many of the unhealthy expectations that we face in life. And they saw what he did to stay confident. So we're going to look at his life. Because sometimes you see, I, I think Jesus is, you know, when I was a kid, I thought Jesus was superhero Jesus. Oh, well, he was God's son. He was superhero Jesus. That's why he did everything he did on this earth. But we need to remember that he laid that down so that he could enter fully into, the, into humanity like us to give us an example of how we can walk with God to overcome the challenges of this world and, and live in oneness and unity with God. So, so I had to like push that superhero Jesus aside and say, I need to look at his life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, because all of those things are the good news of the gospel. So we're going to take a minute right now, or a few moments, to look at his life and how he lived. So think about it for a minute. We're going to jump into his life right now, his story. He has this most amazing statement about his baptism. Pastor Ben talked about it last month. And so before starting his mission or doing anything for God, like in the public realm, those three years we read about in the Gospels, right at the beginning, we read about this moment. 
he gets baptized into the water. He comes out, and, and, and it says this, that this voice from heaven speaks. God speaks. And it says, this is my son who I love, and with him I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done anything publicly yet. This was the starting point. Because of who you are, you are loved, and I'm proud of you, and I'm pleased with you, and you're my son. And you know what's amazing about this? The Bible says that we are one with Christ. So what's true of Jesus is true of each and every one of you in this room. You are God's children. A son, a daughter who he loves, and he's well pleased with you. That's the starting point. Now, Jesus comes out of this amazing moment, right? And, and the Bible tells us that right away he's led into the wilderness for 40 days, and he's tested, and we read about the temptations. And here's what's crazy about these three temptations. I find it very interesting. Satan uses this one single phrase before each one. He sees Jesus in his weakness, and he's like, hey, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, right? Then later, you know, Jesus hadn't eaten in all these days. He's hungry, but he's dependent on his dad, and he comes again. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he was trying to cast doubt in the identity statement that was just made days earlier. Because he recognized, if I can get Jesus to give up his identity, he won't make it to the cross and I won't lose. But we know how that story ended, don't we? Jesus crushed him at the cross. Crushed him. Crushed him. So Satan couldn't accuse him anymore. He was defeated. So now his focus is shifted to his creed, and that's why we're talking about identity tonight. You see, I believe his number one thing that he's trying to do, or his tactic, is to hijack our God-given identities so that we aren't living how God designed us to live. And the good news is that Jesus has given us the miraculous gift of his spirit to empower us to overcome this. He says, hey, by the way, actually, you are crucified with me, so we are one. So when he comes and tries to steal and hijack your identity, remember whose you are. Remember who you're one with. See, not only did Jesus resist the enemy in the wilderness, he also had to resist the expectations of everyone while he ministered on earth. Let me, let me help you understand that a little more. You see, here's the deal. All of them weren't bad, but people wanted something of Jesus, right? Think about it. The Jews were longing for this Messiah. We want someone to come and rescue us and overthrow the Roman. We need a conquering hero, a military commander. So here's expectation number one placed on Jesus right there. When Jesus goes to start his ministry, he heads to his hometown and he shares that he's son of God. And all of a sudden, the religious leader's like, whoa, 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 wait, time out, time out. No, that's not going to happen. You're a fraud. You're a fake. So we're going to kill you, basically. Another expectation. He's a fraud. He's a fake who needs to prove himself. So then we read later, he goes to Peter's house, and then Mark 3.21 tells us this, that his family went to get him. So his mom and his brothers show up, and they're like, hey, can you send Jesus out? Um, we think he's lost his mind. Do you see what's starting to stack up in the life of Jesus right now? 
All these external expectations. Here's another one. He's out of his mind. We, we need to like get him and rescue him from himself. Another external expectation. See, all throughout the Gospels, crowds followed him because he was the healer. He was the miracle worker. He was the guy. They wanted to see the show. They wanted a piece of the action. And many had really good intentions. And others, they just wanted to be entertained. More expectations. And after the miracle of feeding the 5,000, I love in John 6 what it, ca- what it captures in verse 15. And it says this, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him their king. Another expectation. It says, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself to pray. Don't miss what it says here. It says he withdrew again. See, this wasn't a one-time occurrence. It indicates a pattern in his life. See, it would have been so easy to let his pride and his humanity take over in that moment. Who wouldn't want to be king? Have everybody serve them. Have all the authority. He was like, no, no, there's a better story being written. So he slipped away by himself to be with his dad. Think about it. At that moment, he was basically the most popular person in the known world. And he slips away. He's like, I got it away from the crowds. See, these expectations and labels just kept coming at him. We hear other accusations. Well, he's a friend of sinners. He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He parties with tax collectors? Like there's sinners and then there's tax collectors. Like they're the worst. And that's who he hangs out with? More unhealthy expectations placed on Jesus. Here's the deal. If unchecked or kept unchecked, expectations and labels from others can ruin a person's God-given identity. So how did Jesus navigate this? How did he stay confident in his identity in the face of expectations and opposition? I've shared the answer. Luke 5, 16 captures it beautifully. It says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. He regularly spent uninterrupted time with his dad. He sat in his belovedness. Think about that for a second. See, Jesus realized he needed to be with God. He needed the connectedness. He needed the oneness. He needed the unity. He needed to be reminded of who he was. He recognized that his identity came from who his dad said he was. And all throughout the Gospels, you read moments again and again where he slipped away from the crowds to be in a desolate place with God. This was his pattern. This was something he realized he had to do, and he could not live without it. And something significant happened in these moments. And this is how Jesus stayed confident in his identity. Here's a silly story for you. I love Yetis. Um, any, any Yeti-aholics in, in the room? Like, 
it's funny, like I got one, this is my water one, then I got a shorter one that's for tea, and then I got another one that's for juice, because you don't want to con- like cross-contaminate flavors, and then you got your camping Yeti, and then like Beatrix has her Yeti, my little girl. So there's like, I don't know, 20-something Yetis in the house. It's, it's, it's a bad addiction. But like, so I got my nice little like coffee Yeti with me at work, and um, I finished my coffee, I'm driving, and the Yeti cup tips over in the car. Now, I had most of my coffee drank, but a little bit spilled out because I still had the lid open. I didn't think anything of it, but then when I got home, pick up my Yeti to go in, go in the house, and um, this Walmart receipt is like, coffee-soaked Walmart receipt is like stuck on this mug. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> You're ruining the purity of my, my Yeti mug Walmart receipt. And... Um, I'm like, I got to get rid of this. But I'm telling you right now, a dried-on coffee-stained Walmart receipt is stronger than Gorilla Glue. I'm telling you, I could not get that thing off. Like, I was getting so frustrated. I'm trying to peel this off, and I'm like, man, I can't believe I cut my fingernails. Like, I need to get this off, so I'm trying to scrape it off. I can't do it. So then I go in the house in a panic. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, I got this. I jump on Amazon, like, Gugon, you're going to crush this receipt. And then I'm like, no, that's not going to work. i got to wait for that. I need this clean now. So I'm like, ah, razor blade. I'm going to scrape this off. Then I'm like, no, Travis, you're going to chip the paint on this. You're going to wreck your Yeti mug. What are you doing? And then I'm sitting there like, Trav, dude, it's a receipt. It's paper. Fill the sink with some water and throw the mug in the water. Imagine that. Like... So I'm like, all right, all right. I'm like, okay, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to soak it a bit because my thing is like rinse it and I'm still going to try to work at it and peel it off. So I'm like, I'm just going to leave it for a few minutes. So I left it for like 10, 15 minutes, went about my business. I didn't put any effort into this. Just left it. I come back, pull it out of the water. I barely have to touch it and I just rub the mug and it comes off. And then it dawned on me, in the silliness of this little moment, just a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, man, when Jesus was covered in all these labels and expectations that others placed on him day in and day out that easily could have been his identity, he slipped away to be with his dad, to soak in his love. Because soaking in his father's love, listening to his father's voice, being filled with the spirit, washed away what everyone else put on him. And he stayed confident in who God said he was. I want to speak to the youth in the room for a minute. Um, I'm 42. I'm still growing in this identity stuff. You know what? There's been many times in my adult years that I, I didn't make decisions from a confident place of my identity in Christ. Like I said earlier, there's been seasons where I wrestled with unhealthy narratives in my life. I didn't recognize till my 30s that I had an abandonment wound that affected Many of my relationships from junior high right on up because of something that happened to me when I was a kid. 
and was invited into a space like this a few years back where God just met me in the brokenness. And he's like, can I restore you? Are you ready to let me heal you? You've preached it for years, now let me do it. Okay. And here's the thing, even in all those challenging seasons, Jesus in his goodness always pursued me and drew me back into his love. And it was a work of the Spirit. It was not something I could do on my own. And then he also reminded me of moments I had when I was in my youth years, many of your age. I was your age, of many of you, I guess. I remember times I'd be at a youth retreat where the Holy Spirit was so present in the room. There's no manipulation and it was just, you want to be close to Jesus. I remember the Holy Spirit was so present. Again, the one that Jesus promised to us so that he could return to the Father. And there's times where all I could do was kneel and, and, and just cry. And not a, like a sad cry. It was just like, that was just the way I responded to his goodness. I'm like, I just love you so much. I just want to cry. And then there's other moments. I remember just laughing. And being filled with that joy that Jesus talks about, that joy of the Lord that can be our strength. And it wasn't something I strived for, you guys. I just positioned myself to meet with Jesus. And he never let me down. I remember there was times I didn't want to go home. So I was sitting with some friends. The youth service had long ended. And we just wanted to stay and linger and pray. The youth leader probably was like, I want to go home and sleep. But these kids are still here. But he recognized that it wasn't about him. And he's like, God is doing something in those kids. So I'm just going to sit in the background and let Jesus do his thing. And he met me in my brokenness. God wasn't just this intellectual pursuit anymore. It actually landed in my heart and I felt his love in a tangible way. I felt his presence. And I'm like, I want that for the rest of my life. I can't live without that hope that you gave me in each of those moments. He poured out so much of himself. And all we did was wait on him, make space for him, step towards him to sit in our belovedness. This changes a person, you guys. It galvanizes something within you. It restores broken identity. It builds confidence within a person to live in the fullness of who God created them to be. It washes off the labels that other people have placed on you. It brings healing to the negative narratives that play out in our head of I'm not good enough. And he says, no, 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 no. You are more than a conqueror. There's no unfinished masterpieces, I think is what Pastor Ben said. And so his desire for us is revealed in one of the last prayers that's captured in the New Testament that Jesus prayed before he left. I want to read it. I just invite you just to sit in this prayer with me for a moment. It's in John 15 starting, or John 17 starting in verse 20. So this is after he's promised the Spirit and now he's sitting with his dad 
and he's revealing his heart for us. This is Jesus. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us today. Jesus was praying for us today back then. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Dad. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That's what I want for them. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that beautiful? That's Jesus' heart for us. Jesus knew the best way to stay confident in his identity was to stay as close as he could to his dad. And he invites us now to step into that oneness with him just as he had with his dad. That's what he wants for you tonight. He wants us to soak in the same love he soaked in. He doesn't want unhealthy expectations, labels, or false beliefs about who we are to cripple us from living into the fullness of who we were created to be. So I believe this is his ask tonight. Will you slip away with me? Will you make that a practice in your life? I'm confident he meets our genuine hunger to be with him, with his presence. He meets it with his presence and he meets us with his spirit. So here's my prayer for us tonight. That everyone in this room who have one or two or maybe a dozen unhealthy expectations or even good ones that aren't fully who God wants you to be, And if they're on you and challenging you and they're not supposed to be there, my prayer is that you would step towards Jesus tonight and allow him to wash them off. Allow him to remind you of the oneness you have with him. Allow him to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. Allow him to speak words of identity into your heart. See, I used to get uncomfortable when my youth pastor would would invite us to step out of our seats and and come to the altar to respond to what he shared. But there's something beautiful that happened when I responded to the invitation and got out of my seat and said, Jesus, this isn't about me. This is uncomfortable, but I want to meet you at the altar. And when I stepped out of my seat, there were so many times he just met me because that physical act, I always believe, represented a spiritual transaction. And he's like, you're stepping towards me? Watch me do the rest. Watch me do the rest. So can I invite you tonight to bring the pain, bring the expectations, bring the lies, bring the labels, 
Just bring the stuff that you're like, Jesus, I don't want to carry this anymore. Can you take it? I just want to sit in your love. I want to sit in your truth. I need your spirit to change me. Just like Travis, I can't pick this off. I've tried. I give up. I need you to do all this. And just allow his presence to wash off anything that's negatively impacting your identity today. So you can spend time alone with Jesus, maybe with a friend you trust, but I'm going to invite you to step out and say, I want to step toward you, Jesus, and spend time with you. Some of us, you're like, man, I got some heavy stuff, or I'm not sure how to navigate this. We have some prayer partners and teammates. I mean, they've been praying for you guys for weeks and believing that God wants to do something in and through your life tonight. And they listen to Jesus because they're confident that we hear Jesus as his followers because he says, my sheep will know my voice. And so they're listening to Jesus to share a word of encouragement and hope and partner with you. So if you're like, I just want someone to pray with me, they're gonna be over here in kind of this section. Maybe you're in the room and you're thinking, you know what, Travis? This was such affirmation. Like I am walking confidently in my identity. I celebrate with you. Here's my invite and challenge to you guys. As others respond and they're working out this identity stuff with Jesus, can you pray for them from where you're seated? So that we're all joining in acts of unity and believing that Jesus is gonna do something within us. I'm not gonna prolong it. The invitation is to come. The worship team is going to lead us in a few songs. But right now, if you're like, something's speaking to me, and I just got to step towards Jesus tonight and allow his spirit to fill me afresh, can I just invite you to come and find a space? You might want to, like, spread out in this place, but I just want to invite you to step out of your seat. Step towards Jesus. So I invite you to do that right now. I'm like, I want to meet with him tonight. I want to soak in his presence. Just find a place at the altar. You might want to grab your Bible and read for a bit with him and let him speak to you through that. Some of you might just want to sit as they're singing. Some of you might mean, I just need to get out of my seat and just kneel in my seat. Some of it might mean, I got to stand. But I'm saying, whatever that physical act that God's inviting you to do as a step of faith towards him, can you just do that in these next few moments? As Sam and the team are leading us, step towards Jesus. I'm expectant that his spirit's gonna do something new and fresh in each and every one of us tonight. Lead us, Sam.